You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord Jesus, judge and savior of the world, in your mercy, speak to us in this moment. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I've often joked in various contexts that I'd prefer to invite the Apostle Paul to a dinner party than Jesus. Because when Jesus comes to a dinner party, he's going to say something upsetting, and he's going to get a little too close for comfort. You may recall the Samaritan woman in John 4 at the well wanting to discuss theology with Jesus after she realized he was a special man. Where's the right location of worship, Jesus? Do the Samaritans have it right or do the Jews have it right? But but Jesus isn't interested in talking theology with this woman. He asks her to go and get her husband, and she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right, you've, you've had five. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised by our gospel reading this morning either. In Mark 9, Jesus is at it again. He's getting too close for comfort, and he's saying some very upsetting things. The kind of upsetting things that cannot be quickly dismissed. And I would lie to you this morning if I didn't admit that I have struggled with this text all week. Perhaps Jesus was getting too personal with me as well. You see, in the first scene, and you'll want to read along with me in Mark, in the first scene, the disciples are upset about someone casting out a demon in Jesus' name. And you have to love the disciples because they so often lead with their chin. Just in the previous scene in Mark 9, they had been arguing out of earshot of Jesus about who was the greatest among them. I mean, it appears the kind of thing that you'd hear school children bicker about. No, I'm greater. I mean, can you even imagine this? And Jesus draws near, and, well, he does his thing. He asks a penetrating question, knowing full well the answer. Uh, What were you all talking about back there? And they kept silent because they were embarrassed. But Jesus knew, and he draws a child into his arms as an illustration. Do you want to be great according to the standards of God's kingdom? Then you have to be like this child last, and a servant, and, and small. And then the next scene, our gospel reading from this morning, inhabits the same space as the who's the greatest among us dispute. And now the disciples see someone, not a member of the in-group. They're not part of our tribe. And they're casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And apparently they are doing so with some measure of success. We don't know who these people are. We know nothing of their group identity. But they are other. They're different. Not of us. But at the same time, they seem to know Jesus and are working in his name. And this bothered the disciples. As it bothered me when I was a young Christian, to meet other Christians from a different tradition than my own. They didn't speak the same churchly accent. I met such Christians with immediate suspicion. And so too the disciples here. Jesus, we told them to stop. They're not with us. 
They are the outgroup. A leader of a cult would have affirmed their basic instincts of suspicion and groupthink. But not Jesus, not the Savior of the world. Leave them alone, he says, because anyone who does mighty works in my name will eventually be loyal to me. If they're not against us, they're for us. Both of these scenes expose the religious pride of Jesus' own followers. They are bearing the marks of Jesus' greatest opponents in his earthly ministry, the Pharisees. I mean, how wild it is to see the very self-same dynamic of the religious elite among Jesus' chosen twelve. The desire to be right, the wish to be in the in-group with Jesus to the exclusion of others, self-congratulation and group confidence, the tribalism of so many of Jesus' followers through the centuries, including yours truly, is already present among the apostles themselves. You see, there exists a persistent danger in Christ's church where our denominational distinctives, which are good insofar as we can identify them, when these things become ends, they become total, they become masters instead of servants of the gospel of Jesus and his word. When the desire to be right and precise clouds our true status as servants of Jesus and stakeholders of his word. You know how slow we are, how slow I am, to critically engage our own selves. And we work with layers of assumptions about so many things and how seldom we bring ourselves or our assumptions into critical scrutiny on a whole host of matters, significant and insignificant. But Jesus is helping us this morning on this matter. Jesus doesn't mind getting into our grill, as they say. And Jesus does what Jesus does in Mark 9, 42 through 50. He redirects and he refocuses. Gentlemen, disciples, instead of worrying about who's the greatest, instead of worrying about who's in or who's out, let me give you a couple of things that should occupy your critical scrutiny. First of all, take care not to scandalize these little children. Notice carefully how these children are described. Those who believe in me. And the little children stand here for anyone whose faith is fragile or vulnerable. Don't be the cause of these little ones stumbling, of their tripping up or being ensnared in such a way that leads them to unbelief in me. They believe in me, these little ones. Water their faith. Nurture it. Take care not to put before them a rock of offense, a stumbling block that might lead to their unbelief. Even Asaph, the temple priest in Psalm 73, in the midst of his tirade against God and God's perceived injustice, this is what he says, if I would have spoken these words out loud to your children, I would have betrayed them. If you want to worry about something, Jesus says, worry about the persevering faith of others. Because people who cause little ones to fall away from me, heaven help them. It would be better to drown under the weight of a millstone than to meet what I have in store for them. So don't be a stumbling block to disbelief, a hindrance to the faith of others. Take care here, disciples. Give give your attention to this matter. 
And secondly, Jesus says, don't be a rock of offense against yourself. If your hand is a scandal to you, if your hand leads you to disbelief, then cut it off. If your foot leads you astray from me, then lop it off. If your eye is the problem, then pluck it out. Because it's better to go into the kingdom of God maimed than to be cast into hell fully intact. And before we lessen the force of these statements from Jesus by dismissing these words as merely hyperbolic or sensational, let's let the force of them sit on us this morning. Because the last thing we want to say to Jesus is, let me soften what you just said. Because we're talking this morning about ultimate matters. We're talking about heaven and hell. And our bodies can be abused in such a way as to lead us to unbelief. And we can't transcend our bodies. The body can be the means for the soul's abuse. And Jesus doesn't clarify his statement one bit. What's all this about Jesus? I mean, in what way might my foot cause me to fall away? In what way might my hands be the instrument of my own self-destruction, my own unbelief, and my eyes? Jesus doesn't explain. And he leaves it all open because our hands and our feet and our eyes make us all vulnerable in very different ways. And if something is present that's leading you away from Jesus, that's a stumbling block to belief in him, Jesus says, cut it off. So we brought some machetes to church today (laughs) and are happy to meet with anyone in the baptistry after worship for a spiritual healing service of amputation. Do please bring a change of clothes. (laughs) Yes, Jesus is using shocking language here and is speaking in sensational terms. But he's doing so to wake us up. In Flannery O'Connor's terms, to the hard of hearing you shout, and for the almost blind, you draw large and startling pictures. See, the disciples were blinded by their own vanity and their religious self-congratulation. They were blind. And Jesus is drawing a startling picture here for them. Jesus is calling us to the radical gift of continued repentance and and scrutiny of the self. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Your own body can lead you astray, Jesus tells us. And he gives us a startling account of living into the dynamics of our worship in this place, here, where week in and week out we confess who we truly are in light of our sin and in light of God's overwhelming gift of grace to us. You see, people on their way to hell who are snatched from its utter darkness by God's grace, those people don't argue about who's the greatest. They follow Jesus outside the city gates and they say, we're with him. We're with that one. We go to the very place where Mark's gospel is taking us in order to watch God himself in human flesh go to hell for you and for me so that we don't have to go there too. So instead of debating about who's the greatest, 
or who's in or who's out. How about give yourself to the service of other people's faith in Jesus Christ? And how about enter into the gift of repentance, knowing that your own body can lead you into disbelief? As the prophet Joel heralded so long ago in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is coming, and it will be awesome, and it will be terrifying. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.